Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Advocacy and Impact podcast. This podcast, hosted by ASHP's Government Relations Division, provides an update on what ASHP is currently involved with on the Hill, at the state level, upcoming advocacy opportunities, PAC fundraising and strategies, and increasing member involvement with their representatives. My name is Nick Gentile, the Director of the Political Action Committee and Grassroots Engagement, and I will be your host today for ASHP's Advocacy in Impact podcast. With me today is Tom Kraus, the Vice President of Government Relations at ASHP. Thanks for joining me today, Tom. Let's get started talking about today's topic, the new drug supply chain recommendations by ASHP. ASHP, for a long time, has focused on addressing drug shortages. We worked with the University of Utah to track ongoing shortages and hosted a summit last year to bring together healthcare providers and representatives of drug manufacturers to identify solutions. Why are we releasing this new set of recommendations, Tom? It's a great question, Nick. We, you know, this has been a, a long-term focus of ASHP, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an area that we uh, uh, invest a lot of our advocacy energy in, you know, to address uh, uh, drug shortages. One of the reasons that we decided to release these uh, new recommendations is that the you know, COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated many longstanding access and quality issues related to the healthcare supply chain. And so that that's one impetus for us to, you know, put out these new recommendations. The the other the other reason to put out the, the updated recommendations is is really a positive one. And that's that's that Congress actually did adopt many of our prior recommendations. And so we felt the need to, you know, go back, um, work together with other uh, healthcare provider organizations, and uh, you know, understand what is causing drug uh, drug shortages, and and provide some updated recommendations to you know help help policymakers continue to evolve. So we worked closely with the American Medical Association, the American Society of Anesthesiologists, the Association of Clinical Oncology, and USP, and those were all entities that joined us in addition to uh, AHA as. Uh, as sponsors of the summit last year, and and, um, and you know we're excited to to work with uh, AMA, ASA, ASCO, and USP on these uh, new uh, recommendations. So let's get into the recommendations themselves. What are the top line recommendations, Tom? Yeah, there's really five areas of recommendations that that we think policymakers could adopt. Number one, incentivizing advanced manufacturing technology. These are technologies like continuous manufacturing, particularly for critical drugs and active pharmaceutical ingredients. Another opportunity would be improving the functioning and composition of the strategic national stockpile. That is something that we saw, particularly in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, really was not functioning the way that I think many healthcare providers hoped it would, and there's there's a lot of opportunity to improve there. Uh, there's also opportunity for governments to coordinate on multinational cooperation uh, to improve supply chain resilience. Fourth, there is opportunity to incentivize quality and resilience in the manufacturing process. 
So many drug shortages do stem from quality problems in the manufacturing process. And that that's we think there's an opportunity to improve visibility and, and market pressure to improve quality in manufacturing. And then finally, there are a series of, of recommendations that have been adopted in policy for drugs, but there's not corresponding recommendations for medical devices. So our final recommendation is actually replicate many of these recent uh, changes in policy for critical drug manufacturing um, and apply those to medical devices and ancillary supplies like PPE. You mentioned the strategic national stockpile, Tom. Can you remind listeners what it is and give us a little more detail on how it could be improved? Yeah, so the Strategic National Stockpile is is run by the federal government. It is a resource where the government stockpiles key drugs for use in emergency situations. And what we found during the pandemic, you know, you may remember there was a lot of discussion early on about uh, availability of, of ventilators and, and, and uh, certain medications for, for mechanically ventilated patients. And would the strategic national stockpile be able to provide some of those resources? Um, and I think there was just a, a series of challenges that we found um, with accessing the, the stockpile. Number one, it was just not at all clear what was in the strategic national stockpile. Uh, it was not clear how states and organizations within those states could access drugs from the stockpile. Um, it wasn't always clear who to turn to to ask questions about access and availability of product from the national stockpile. It wasn't clear about what the procedure would be to release products from the stockpile. So there's just a lot of opportunity to improve there. So one thing, you know, just to go through a, a, a kind of a list of items that we could we could undertake to improve the, the functioning of the stockpile. Update, regularly update a list of medicines uh, and devices that are necessary to respond to national scale public health emergencies, not just localized public health emergencies. And, you know, I, and I think that's that is an important kind of shift in thinking about how the um, the strategic national stockpile could could function. And, and that's it just that is very much driven by the experience of the pandemic. You know, this is not necessarily about responding to a, 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 a localized disaster. You know, we've experienced a nationwide public health emergency and we need to make sure that the strategic national stockpile is positioned to respond uh, to something like that. Increase transparency of the products that are included, as I, as I mentioned. Um, update the, the, the products that are included to include things like monoclonal antibodies for, for known pathogens, right? So there, there, are, there are opportunities to do some things like that just to reflect uh, an updating of the purpose of the strategic national stockpile. Incentivize creation of private sector reserves of essential medicine. So we shouldn't just be dependent on the strategic national stockpile to be that that buffer in the case of emergency. There there could be opportunities for uh, the federal government to support private sector uh, organizations, uh, and that could, that could be health systems themselves. It could be POs or distributors. There, there's probably lots of different options that could be pursued, but having some uh, reserve in the public sector uh, would be very helpful for for making sure there's there's flexibility when there are those supply chain disruptions and and, and that could include things like expanding the the hospital preparedness program using uh, kind of better data to, to do supply forecasting to, to support inventory hospital inventories 
and there could be could be um, you know solutions that the government could could implement that would you know make it financially viable for the private sector to 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 do that like like you know supporting financing of some of those uh, private sector stockpiles so that that's that's kind of another area improve the kind of visibility of the office operating the strategic national stockpile uh, there's a function that they call their control tower which is intended to provide data on different categories of devices and pharmaceuticals to respond um, to uh, a crisis. And I think there's opportunity to expand the number of pharmaceuticals that are actually covered by that function and just keep that keep that updated. And then, you know, as I mentioned, folks who, who were trying to access drugs in the early days of the, the pandemic learned that it was really hard to access uh, what was in in the stockpile. So establish a very clear process for for emergency distributions of from the stockpile and and how those products are going to be rotated in non-emergency situations to make sure that those those products uh, aren't expired. Publish a clear process for making requests from this from the strategic national stockpile, including key contact information at the agencies that are responsible for managing those requests. Engage pharmacists in that process uh, and physicians in developing uh, and maintaining uh, and refreshing products in the supply chain in, in the strategic national stockpile. Provide some standardized distribution processes. It doesn't mean that that can't be overrided if there's a particular emergency situation we need to address. You know, flexibility is actually a really valuable part of the strategic national stockpile, but there should be an ingoing understanding, a sort of baseline of what the standard process will be. And, you know, if we need to modify that in the case of emergency, by all means, let's do that. But we don't even have a clear sense of what that standard distribution process is. And that's a problem that the federal government needs to fix that. And then um, publicize some kind of criteria for how you're going to prioritize distribution from the strategic national stockpile. You know, we had uh, earlier in the pandemic, we, we had a lot of speculation about what states would receive product from the stockpile. Are there, who would get to make those decisions, just how that would play out and being, you know, being speculated in the, the media. That's, that's just not the right way to do things uh, with a, with a resource that's so important to providing patient care. Like the federal government needs to, to publish clear criteria. And again, Adapt those criteria if you need to, based on the emergency. You know, if you need to make some some game time decisions, that is absolutely appropriate. But at least provide some clear description of an ingoing plan, and then be very transparent as you're making those those updates if you need to in the context of an emergency. So that's that's our kind of uh, list. That's kind of the most extensive piece, just because we encountered so many challenges with the uh, strategic national stockpile during this pandemic. So we've seen that a significant number of drug shortages stem from manufacturing quality challenges. What can we do to address those manufacturing quality issues, Tom? Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge. You know, if you are, if you are a, a, a manufacturer, particularly of a low-cost generic drug, you know, it is a, an incredible accomplishment of our system that uh, we have access to very low-cost generic drugs. The downside of that is that because there's so much competition on price, there may not be sufficient incentive to, to invest in quality of manufacturing processes. And I'm not suggesting that 
the quality of the drugs themselves is not high. It is. But, but I'm talking about the quality of the manufacturing process. How robust is that? Is the redundancy built into the supply chain so that there aren't going to be supply disruptions? If there, you know, if, there, if, if is there a, a risk that a manufacturing plant goes down and, you know, a key manufacturer is offline for an extended period of time? Or uh, if a manufacturer does go down, are they going to, are, are they ever going to, are they going to make the choice to, to bring that plant back up or are they going to switch to a different, uh, product that they think may be uh, more financially viable. So, you know, th th there's there's a real challenges around the economics of investing in manufacturing uh, um, capacity and quality. And that's a challenge, right? And so one way that that we have for several years recommended, in fact, this the same group of, of partners previously recommended providing quality uh, uh, a rating system for quality of manage uh, of uh, quality quality processes for the manufacturing of of medications, right? So that so having FDA uh, provide visibility in and some way to compare the quality uh, quality management processes for manufacturers would allow purchasers, health systems, and GPOs to to make some preferential uh, decisions about where they source product from. And so they could actually, you know, steer volume preferentially to those manufacturers that are, have more robust supply chain. And in some cases may be willing to pay a premium for that more robust supply chain if it gives them better confidence that they're not gonna have a disruption in, in drugs that are necessary for patient care. You know, this is, this is not this is not a, a sort of universally agreed upon recommendation. I, I think there's there's a reality that many manufacturers would not like to have the quality of their supply chain evaluated and and available for us as purchasers to evaluate. Um, but we do think it, if it existed, it would it would apply pressure, you know, in the market, a market incentive for manufacturers to to invest in 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 durability of their supply chain. And so, you know, similarly, making sure we understand and have transparency into the, the kind of key starting materials, active pharmaceutical ingredients, that would, you know, anything we can do on providing transparency and sources uh, to those would be helpful. And so, you know, I think this, this kind of focus on quality and our recognition that, that quality in the manufacturing process is a driver of shortages uh, is an important thing for our policymakers to understand. It's not just about, you know, having domestic capacity, though that is an important aspect of our supply chain. You know, uh, ASHP has in the past said we, we think it's important to have increased domestic capacity. Um, but let's just also make sure we're understanding an investment in quality and redundancy in our supply chain is, is what actually will result in a more robust supply chain overall. So we haven't previously focused on medical devices, but this set of recommendation does. What specific recommendations are we making to address device shortages? Yeah, this is this is a new aspect of our recommendations. Uh, one of the things that that was highlighted in our prior recommendations was actually incorporated in a, in a piece of legislation called the COVID Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, uh, the CARES Act. This was one of the early COVID relief packages that Congress passed. 
and it, it, it included some provisions designed to mitigate and reduce drug shortages. And, and we want to see kind of similar provisions enacted on the device side. So this could be things like requiring a device manufacturer that fails to report a discontinuance or interruption in supply to be deemed to have committed what's called a prohibited act under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. This basically gives the FDA some, some teeth to make sure that manufacturers are disclosing their supply disruptions. More closely align the language for device reporting with the language for, for drugs under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. That's the, that's the tool that the FDA has to, to track uh, drug shortages and get some get some early insight into where those shortages are are going to occur, so that they can coordinate with other uh, manufacturers to try to mitigate the impact of those shortages. So this this is things like requiring manufacturers to notify FDA of a discontinuance in their raw materials or components or parts for uh, medical devices. Indicate uh, that device reporting is is not just required during or during a public health emergency, but on an ongoing basis. Require manufacturers to develop risk management plans. Basically, you know, what are the ways that we can, what are the, what are the greatest risks of a supply disruption in your supply chain? And what are the steps that you're going to take to, to reduce that risk? Require manufacturers to, to disclose to FDA manufacturing volumes, similar to what we do for, for drug manufacturers. This, this would give uh, FDA basically an annual reporting of the quantity of devices manufactured at different registered facilities. So FDA does know where uh, devices are, man are, are manufactured, but they don't have a good sense of the quantity. So if, if there are multiple registered facilities for a given manufacturer, FDA may not be able to say, well, uh, we, there, there's a natural disaster in this area. We think this fraction of our manufacturing volume is disrupted. FDA couldn't tell you that today because they don't know the relative volume of supply going through the different facilities that um, are registered to manufacturers. So also things like identifying raw materials and components for critical devices um, that should have domestic manufacturing capacity you know, I was mentioning we have for a long time supported uh, increasing domestic manufacturing, and that, that could apply to, to devices as well. We also just want to make sure that folks understand and policymakers understand that shouldn't come as an alternative to foreign sourcing. It should be in addition to foreign sourcing, right? Because having domestic and foreign sources gives us a little redundancy in the, in the system. So it, it's those kind of changes that we think uh, FDA now has access to on the drug side and is, is beginning to incorporate into their risk mitigation processes and their engagement with industry that can be applied to devices as well. How likely are we to see policymakers adopt these recommendations and what is the path to getting them adopted, Tom? Yeah, I think it probably differs for some of the different recommendations. So for example, the, the things that we were discussing about the strategic national stockpile uh, those are those are really administrative changes. They're they're kind of process changes that could occur within the agency. They don't require they don't require legislation to change them. These are things that the federal gov government could do without an act of Congress to provide greater clarity. And, and, and I think those things should be should be done and could be done quite promptly. You know, some of the other things like the changes that we were mentioning with regard to device manufacturers and, and some of the challenges 
in having the, the regulation of, of de device manufacturing reflect some of the same recent improvements that we've seen on the, the drug side as far as transparency into supply chain. Those things probably require congressional action, and that's, that's a bigger challenge. That said, Congress did listen when we raised concerns about some of these issues in the past. You know, we, we regularly work with Congress to make them aware of our uh, concerns about drug supply chain uh, shortages. You know, I think, I think there is a good chance that they will continue, um, continue to try to improve the drug supply chain and will look to us with our partner organizations as, as a good set of, uh, you know, ideas uh, that they can pursue. So I, I think it is this combination of, of federal agency action as well as congressional action. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Tom Krauss for joining me today to discuss ASHP's new recommendations to the drug supply chain. Be sure that your voice is heard. Visit ashp.org to learn more about key issues, grassroots efforts, and the ways that you can get involved in ASHP's advocacy efforts. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.